You know, Psalm 118, verse 24 says, This is the day the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. But can I just be honest with you? I find some days easier to rejoice in the Lord than others. It seems like sometimes my faith and my confidence in God is tossed around by the changing circumstances of my life. I don't know if maybe you feel that way as well. It seems like whenever God hears our prayers, our faith in Him soars. But when God seems silent, our faith can plummet. When, when God comes through for us in a miraculous, unmistakable way, our confidence in God is bolstered. But when it doesn't seem that God has come through for us, our faith can be shaken. Sometimes our faith in God is based on our perception of God's faithfulness to us. And when we don't feel that God is being as faithful or attentive for us, our faith can be shaken. And in those days, it's hard to rejoice in the Lord. It's hard to have confidence and to have joy. Let's just be honest. Sometimes some days are more difficult than other days. And if you're like that, maybe it's because you're going through this crisis that has swept our world, this health crisis that's turned into a financial crisis. Maybe, though, you were already feeling shaken long before this. Maybe for you, your marriage is what has caused you to say, I can't rejoice in the Lord in this day. Maybe for you, it's because a child that you raised to know the Lord has seemed to have walked away from her faith. And you say, how can I rejoice in the Lord when my heart is broken? Maybe for you, it was because that marriage that started out as the ideal and everything looked awesome has now turned into more of an ordeal. And it doesn't seem that you can find anything anymore that's awesome about this relationship. And you say, how can I rejoice in the Lord on this day? Maybe for you, it's because your health is conspiring against you. you, you you're worried about the future. And you're worried about that test result that's coming back or that surgery that's coming up. And you say, I'm afraid. How can I rejoice in the Lord in this day? And often we find ourselves struggling to have confidence in God and to have faith in God because our circumstances are always changing. It's like we're being tossed back and forth on the waves of life. And sometimes we feel like we're anchorless. We're rudderless. We feel like we're just victims to the circumstances around us. And in those times, we need an anchor for our hope. We need an anchor for our souls. We need an anchor for our faith. And where can we find that anchor? I think we're discovering that we can't find that anchor in the things of this world. Things that can seem so good today can be bad tomorrow. Things that look so stable today can be ripped out from under us tomorrow. All those things that we had put our confidence in can disappear overnight. And so the things of this world won't suffice as an anchor for our hope, for our confidence, for our strength, for our joy. There has to be something else. And listen, we're not the first people to struggle with trying to find out what is it in this life that I can find confidence in, that I can put my faith in. We're not the first. Even the first followers of Jesus, even the people that walked with him and talked with him and saw his miracles, 
Even they struggled at times to make sense of God, to make sense of the circumstances of their life. And when Jesus died on that cross, their hopes, their, their confidence, that anchor that they had invested in was crucified alongside of Jesus. They lost everything. And it felt like they were thrown back into the waves of the circumstances of life, not knowing what problem or what pain was going to come crashing down on them next. And they were discouraged. We think that that first Easter morning was so joyous, but it didn't start that way. The first Easter morning started with a small band of used-to-be followers of Jesus who had lost their faith because as far as they were concerned, Jesus had been crucified, he had been killed, he had been buried, and that was it. It's time to pick up the pieces and move on. We had put our hope and our faith and our confidence in him, but now he's gone. What do we do now? We don't know. Maybe this morning that's how you're feeling. You're feeling like everything is hopeless, everything is lost, and you're not sure what tomorrow holds. But I want to help you today as we go back to the Easter story from the Gospel of Luke in Luke chapter 24. And I want you to discover that there is still an anchor for your hope, for your faith, for your confidence. And listen, maybe you're not even a follower of Jesus. Maybe you're not a Christian. Maybe you're not even sure what you believe about God or even if there is a God. I want you to know that we're so glad that you've joined us today because the Christian faith is not one where God gives us easy answers and quick fixes to the problems of life, but God does give us something far greater. And so I'm going to encourage you today to follow along with me as well, even if you are not sure you believe this story. And I want you to follow along because I think if you're open, you too can find an anchor for your soul for your hope, for your confidence, for your faith, when it seems like everything else can let you down. In Luke chapter 24, we find two of those followers of Jesus on their way home from Jerusalem after the crucifixion and the burial of Jesus. And it's on that Sunday morning that Jesus rose from the dead, but as far as they're concerned, Jesus is still dead. And it's still hopeless. And there is nothing to live for. And so in Luke chapter 24, verse 13, we read these words. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. That phrase, all these things that had happened, refers to Jesus in his ministry for those three and a half years. And then Jesus coming into the city of Jerusalem a week earlier. On Palm Sunday where everybody filled with anticipation cries out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And they thought that Jesus was coming as the conquering king of kings. To overthrow the Romans. To reestablish Israel as an independent nation. To set the people of God free and yet it seemed like all of that spiraled out of control as the week went on. Eventually Jesus ending up crucified on a cross outside the city walls of Jerusalem. Being buried in a borrowed tomb. That's what they're talking about. 
Can you imagine how sad they must have been as they walked and as they talked? But something is about to happen that they had not planned for. Verse 15. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. Now listen, you as the reader know far more than these two people on the road to Emmaus knew. They didn't know that it was Jesus. Verse 16, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. Verse 17, and he said to them, what is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. They were stopped in their tracks at such an ignorant, insensitive question that this new companion on their trip posed to them. What's this conversation that you're holding among yourselves as you walk? Jesus is saying, you look pretty down. What's got you so down? And they let their faces fall to the ground with a sad, dejected look. And they could not imagine that he didn't understand. Verse 18, then one of them named Cleopas answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? You're going, you got to be kidding. What do you mean what happened? Where have you been? Have you been living under a rock? It would be like you asking someone on the streets of New York City on September the 11th, 2001, why are you so upset? You look down, you look discouraged. They would say, where have you been? It would be like someone going out today saying, why is everybody wearing masks? Why is everything shut down? People would say, are you crazy? Where have you been? And it's not that Jesus doesn't know why they're discouraged. He's wanting them to go public with their reasons for their hopelessness, for their sadness. So he said to them in verse 19, What things? And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people. They're saying, We're talking about what happened to Jesus, the one we had placed all of our hope in. The one who was mighty before God and the people with his miracles and with his messages. And every time he preached and every time he performed a miracle, it just fanned into flame our ambition that he was the Messiah we've been looking for. Verse 20, they continue, And how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. And listen to verse 21, But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. We had hoped. Past tense. They've lost their hope. We had hoped, but we don't hope anymore. And maybe that's how some of you are feeling. And I had hoped this marriage could be saved, but I've lost my hope. I had hoped for a better future, but I've lost my hope. They're discouraged. We had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel, to set Israel free. And then they add this, yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since those things happened. Verse 22, moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they come back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those 
who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. They're saying, yeah, you know, we're hearing some of these fanciful stories from some women that went to the tomb this morning. And they said the tomb was empty. And they saw an angel declaring that he is risen, he's alive, he's not in the grave any longer. But even though Peter and John went and checked it out, we still don't believe it. It's been three days since he died. I mean, these are just, these are just rumors. There's nothing here. We're going home. It's over. We had hoped, but we don't hope anymore. In verse 25, he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? Jesus is saying, don't you know your Old Testament? This is what God promised. God promised that his Messiah would be a suffering Messiah. Don't you remember Psalm 22? Don't you remember Isaiah 53? Verse 27. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Now think about this. They don't know this is Jesus, but Jesus has a Bible study with them on the road to Emmaus. Wouldn't you have loved to have been at that Bible study? where Jesus walked them through the Old Testament prophecies that predicted the Messiah would come, he would suffer for his people, he would die, but he would be victorious in the end. Jesus says to them, this is exactly the plan of God. It's not that God's plans have gone awry. God's plans have gone according to plan. You should know your scriptures. You should know that God is in control. This shouldn't take you by surprise. And he pointed to them to the scriptures. Every time I read that verse, it reminds me of that old song, Carly Simon, you're so vain. You probably think this song is about you. Well, Jesus says, listen, all of scripture is about me. It's about me coming to rescue you. And the way to rescue you was to become one of you and to suffer for your sin, to be killed, but also to rise from the dead. All of scripture is about me. They still don't know this is Jesus. So they keep walking. Verse 28. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly saying, stay with us. For it is toward evening and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it. And gave it to them. Now this is unusual. This is not his home. He was taking the place of the host of the home. Typically it would be the host who welcomed you to the table. And the host who poured the wine. And the host who broke the bread. But Jesus takes this matter into his own hands. And he serves them at the table with bread. And it says he broke it and he Gave it to them. Can you imagine? As Jesus stretches out his nail-scarred hand. What they must have seen. They realized. Who this stranger is to them. In fact it says in verse 31. And their eyes were opened. 
and they recognized him. Finally, in the nail print still visible in his hands, where he had been crucified by the Romans, they realized this is Jesus. This is none other than the one whom they thought they had lost. The one whom they thought was dead in a grave somewhere. The one in whom they had invested all of their hopes, and now they thought their hopes were dead with him. But he's alive, and he is right there with them in their presence, even though they did not perceive him even though they did not recognize him. And in verse 31 it says, And he vanished from their sight. He disappeared. He was gone. And verse 32 says, They said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? So we knew there was something about this guy. We knew there was something more about him than what met the eye. Our hearts burned within us. Verse 33, they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. Think about it. They made that seven-mile journey back to Jerusalem they had just made because they were so filled with excitement. It says, and they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together saying, this is what they heard when they entered the group, the Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. That's Peter. Verse 35 Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of bread. They went rushing back to the disciples with this news, this good news, that Jesus is indeed alive. And yet before they could open their mouths, they had already heard that Jesus has appeared already to Simon Peter. And so they then add their resurrection appearance to Jesus, to their disciples to their friends, to say he is indeed alive. Not only did the women find the empty tomb and hear the message from the angels, not only did Simon see Jesus alive physically from the grave, we too saw him. He revealed himself to us in the breaking of bread at our table. And it's changed our lives. Dear friend, I love this because what Jesus needed to do for them, he wants to do for you. He wants you to have confidence in him. And the anchor for your hope is not in the circumstances of your life. The anchor of your hope is in the resurrection of Jesus. Listen, Jesus' resurrection is your anchor of hope. Can you imagine these guys saying, you know, we know Jesus is alive, but man, the 401k is down. It's been decimated. I'm so hopeless. Wait a minute, what? So, so you mean Jesus conquered death, hell, and the grave and your sin problem, but you've lost hope? No, don't you understand? In spite of that, you can always have hope that if he lives, your hope lives. Can you imagine them saying, I know Jesus is alive, but you know, I'm having health problems and I'm so hopeless Wait a minute, you mean Jesus conquered death in the grave and promised one day to come back and to give you a resurrection body like he had that will never grow old, never be sick, never die, and you don't have hope? Can you imagine these guys saying, you know, this relationship in my life is not what it ought to be. I've just lost hope. I know Jesus is alive from the dead, but I have no hope. Don't you understand? That is not the anchor of your hope. The resurrection of Jesus is the anchor of your hope. And dear friend, 
Christianity does not give easy answers. It does not promise painless days. In fact, our Savior that we follow said, in this world, you're going to have tribulation. You're going to have problems. You're going to have painful days. And not only did he say that theoretically, he said it in himself, in his own example to us, by suffering and dying for us on the cross of Calvary. But remember what he promised? In this world, yes, you will have tribulation, But be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. And how did he do it? How did he overcome everything this world throws at us to destroy us? He did it through his own death, burial, and resurrection from the grave. And I'm going to challenge you, Christian. Put your confidence in the fact that Jesus lives. He is your resurrected, living Lord. And like these disciples, he is with you always. He promised in Hebrews 13, 5, he will never leave you. He'll never forsake you. You say, but Ricky, I don't see him. I can't always perceive him. I don't always feel him. But I can promise you, just like he was with those two on the road to Emmaus, he is with you on whatever road you're on today. And his resurrection is your anchor of hope. Maybe you're not a Christian. I want you to understand something about Christianity. We don't have all the answers. But Christianity is not based on how we feel. Christianity is not based on fairy tales. Christianity is not based on, I sure hope things work out. Christianity is based on the eyewitness testimony of people who saw Jesus die. And then three days later, they saw him physically alive. And the majority of them went to their own graves as martyrs. And they would not stop preaching, Jesus lives That's why even someone like the Apostle Paul, that great skeptic who didn't believe in Jesus as the Messiah, who wanted to stamp out Christianity, who persecuted Christians, had his whole life changed when he physically met Jesus alive one day. And that's why Paul would later say, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Every day Christ gives me, I'm going to live for him. And if I die, I get heaven and I get eternal life. Because I know my faith is in my resurrected Savior. And I'm going to challenge you today. If you're a Christian, recommit your life to Him. But maybe today for the first time in your life, you need to give your life to Him. You need to put your confidence in Him. You need to put your trust in Him to forgive you of your sin, to give you the gift of eternal life, and to know that He is with you every moment of every day, no matter what you face in life. I'm going to lead us in a word of prayer. And maybe today you'll make that next step in your spiritual journey with Jesus. He's right there with you today. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus. And for those of us who have committed our lives to him, we rededicate ourselves, putting our confidence in him, knowing that his resurrection is the anchor of our hope. We don't put our hope in the circumstances of life. We put our hope in him. God, there could be somebody here today, a husband or a wife, a mom or a dad, a grandparent. It could be someone that has tuned in today for the first time, or maybe they've been checking out Fort Caroline for a long time, but today they realize they need Jesus. And I thank you for the promise of Jesus where he said, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. 
John 3.16. So maybe today, right where you are, friend, you will talk to Jesus and you'll tell him, Jesus, I admit to you I'm a sinner, but I believe you died on that cross to take my punishment. I believe you were buried and I believe you rose from the dead on the third day. And so today I confess my sin and I confess my confidence in you to forgive me of my sin, to give me the gift of eternal life. Lord, this is the day that you have made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.